the message and the promise of Christianity is one thing, life. If you were to ask me, Pastor, what would you boil the message of Christianity? What would you boil down the promise of Christianity to? If you could boil it down to one word, that word would be life, okay? Life that never ends, okay? The Bible term for that is eternal life. You see, that's the promise of Christianity, Christianity is not about rules, and there are some rules. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about life. You see, in Deuteronomy 30, Moses told the children of Israel, he said, I said before you today, life and death, choose life. Jesus said in the New Testament in John chapter 10, I've come that you might have life. He didn't come that we might have religion. He came that we might have life and life more abundantly. There's another translation that I love, and it says life to the full. So the message of Christianity, the message, the hope of Christianity is life. That's what Jesus is offering. Now, what we're aching for is redemption. What's that mean, Pastor? Well, for everything to be made right, for everything to be fixed, if you will, for everything to be restored. That's our heart. That's our hope. And that's exactly what Jesus promised It's exactly what he promised. Now, I'm going to read to you this morning out of the book of Matthew, and I'm going to read verse, I'm going to read chapter 19, starting with verse 28, and I want to show you an amazing promise from Jesus to you, an amazing promise. And I want to tell you, and honestly, I don't know that I've ever in my lifetime as a Christian heard very much, or even if I've heard any preaching on this promise, then I want to show it to you this morning, starting in Matthew 8, Matthew 19, excuse me, with verse 28. Listen to what it says. This is the NIV. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, of course, he's talking about the disciples. Everyone, say everyone. Everyone. Okay, I don't know about where you're from, but in Texas, everyone means everyone, right? So nobody's left out. All right, listen to it. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now, if you would go back with me to the beginning of that verse, I want to just take a couple of moments and unpack for you the amazing promises. Here's the very first thing I want you to see. Jesus is speaking, and he said, at the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his throne. Now, there's two very simple things you need to understand about the Bible that if you don't understand can be, can be really confusing. Jesus came the first time to save us. Jesus didn't come to fix the world. He came to fix humanity. And Jesus came, took on flesh and blood, died on a cross, was raised from the dead the third day, defeated death, hell, and the grave so we could be saved. All right, he's coming the second time to make everything right. He's coming the second time to restore the earth. He's coming the second time to fix everything and make everything okay. Are you with me? So if you understand those two things, because a lot of times even in our songs, we can get up and sing, you know, the whole world will praise you. And we think that isn't true. That isn't going on. And it isn't going on right now. 
But when Jesus returns and he sits on his throne, it will happen. Now listen to it again. I love this. Jesus said, I'm telling you at the renewal of all things. Now, let me just give you the Greek word for renewal. Now, I'm not trying to mess you up. And please just just stay with me. It's worth it. This is amazing. The word renewal in the Greek is polygenesia. Polygenesia. And I know you think, why why do I care about that, Pastor? Well, because let me break it down to you. It means two things. The word poling means again. And the word genesia. Now, just think about it for a second. When you hear the word Genesee, I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to think Genesis. And that's exactly what it is. The word Genesee is the word Genesis. And you know what Genesis means? Beginning. So here's what this word means. It means beginning again, or it means Genesis again, or it means Eden restored. Now listen, folks, you and I live on a world broken by sin, We've never seen the world without sin like Adam and Eve did. It's always been broken ever since we've been here. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, at the renewal of all things, or when Eden is restored. Now, did you hear that? Listen, Jesus is coming, and when he gets here, everything is going to be renewed. Everything is going to be made right. Everything is going to be restored. And it's going to be the way it was before sin came on the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty amazing promise. Now, let me unpack the rest of it. It says that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me. All right, stop right there. Is there anybody in here that's a follower of Jesus? All right, some of you are not sure. That's okay. All right, or are you just too lazy to raise your hand? All right, let's try it again and you not be lazy, all right? Quit looking at your phone, all right? Look up at me, okay? How many of you are followers of Jesus? Okay, all right. Wow, there is blood flowing through your body, amen? Now, here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, of course you're not one of the disciples, but that means that this belongs to you. Now, let me jump down and listen to what it says. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or feels for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, let me just take one minute and help you understand this. If you're like me, when you read those verses, you know what you think? That doesn't mean me. I mean, I haven't given up fields. I haven't left houses. I haven't left uh, mother or father. Okay, just hang on for a minute. I think sometimes you've paid more sacrifices to follow Jesus than you realize you have. I bet probably there's many of you in here, when you made a commitment to Christ, you've probably lost some friends over it. Yeah, and and if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, yeah, there's some people that used to be in my life that are not in my life anymore. Okay, when I sold out to Jesus, you know, when I'm going down the hill and I pull the brake pedal out and threw it out the window, I had family that didn't really understand. Even my mom, and I love my mom, and she's in heaven with Jesus, and I'm going to see her someday. But even she didn't really get it. It's like, you know, she didn't understand. So all I want you to see before we move on is this belongs to you. If you've ever given up a friendship, if you've ever had family not understand, if you've ever lost a job, if you've ever had anything happen in your life because of the cause of Christ, the promise belongs to you and you get two things. You get a hundred times back what was lost, a hundred times back what you lost, and you get eternal life. 
Now, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you already have eternal life on the inside of you, amen? All right, so Jesus is going to come, and he's going to make everything better. He's going to put everything back the way it was. Now, here's what I want to talk about this morning. When you leave here, I don't want you to go home and eat and say, what pastor say? All right, I don't want that to happen. Here's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about that God has a promise for you that everything is going to turn out okay. Your life is going to be restored. You are going to live forever, and everything that's broken is going to be restored. Everything in your life that's been lost and stolen is going to be restored, and everything that you've given up, you're going to get back, and it's going to be okay, and you're going to live with Jesus and live with your family and your loved ones, and it's going to be good, and it's going to be forever. Now, here's what I want you to do with that amazing news. Okay, it'd be like if I got up this morning and pulled a lottery ticket out of my pocket and said, hey, I bought a lottery ticket and I want 100 million and I'm resigning today. Only Kurt laughed. <laughs> Only Kurt laughed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, and you'd be way more excited, wouldn't you, than, than what I'm saying, hey, you can have life forever and it's gonna be okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hope in that. All right, listen to this statement. I want you to have a wild hope that one day God will restore all things and nothing in your life will be lost. A wild hope. All right, has anybody in here ever been wild? Man, as I look across this room, I see wild people all. Ray's ducking his head down. Look at Ray. Ray De Los Santos right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the visitors are losing their minds. I'm never coming here again. He's pulling people out, right? Jesus is back there scratching his head. I mean, yeah. Yeah, how many of y'all know him? How, yeah, look, yeah, come on. How many of y'all know he's been wild in his, in his life, right? Come on. His kids are like, dad's never been wild. You didn't know him, Amen. Amen. There's at different times we've all had that in our life, right? Okay, but it says a wild hope. A wild hope. A hope of what? That someday Jesus is going to come and everything is going to be restored. Now let's just take a minute and let's talk about the, life, the hope in your life. Let me ask you a question. What would you say is the greatest hope of your life these days? What would you say is the greatest hope of your life these days. Now, hope's like love. And what do you mean, Pastor? Well, love can mean different things. Okay, I love ice cream. But I also love Vicky. Well, those better be different kinds of love. Amen? Right? Now, now, I, now, I seriously love ice cream, right? When I started having heart trouble, I went to the heart doctor, and he said, well, you know, you've got too much potassium in your blood, and ice cream has potassium in it. And I said, that's a lie of the devil, number one, Okay. <laughs> All right. And he said, so don't eat ice cream. So I didn't eat ice cream. Then I had surgery. Then I got better. And I can't remember if he said eat it or if I just started eating it. Okay. But I, but I love ice cream. But you know, that's a different kind of love than I love Vicky or I love Annie or I love you. It better be different. Okay. Hope's the same way. Listen, you can hope that today's a good day. Hey, I hope the wind doesn't blow. Hey, I hope lunch is not burning uh, in, in the oven while pastor's preaching. Uh, right, right? I mean, we all have different kinds of hope. Okay, I'm not talking about those casual hopes. I'm talking about a hope that anchors your soul. Listen to it. What would you say you've put your hope in these days? Let me ask you two more questions. How is hope in your life these days? Now, you know, 
if you've ever known anybody with any illness or sickness, if you become hopeless, things don't go good, especially like a person with cancer. If they lose hope, typically they don't always survive. Right before I had surgery, I went to see my surgeon and he said, how do you think this is going to turn out? And I said, well, I think it's going to turn out good. And he said, okay, I'm glad. He said, I'll move forward with the surgery. He said, if you told me you didn't think you were going to do good, I wasn't going to do it. He said, I didn't want to be a part of that. He said, now there's things that can happen in the operating room that I have no control over. He said, but barring that, I need you to have hope. All right, that's what's important. Where's your hope these days? Do you have hope? Has your life maybe been at times hopeless? Now, here's the thing. We're ravenous creatures, and I'm using, that's a big word, and I know it, but it really meant something to me, and I want you to understand. The word ravenous means to be hungry, okay, like a wolf or a lion would be ravenous, okay? Now, we live in America, okay, I'm guilty too. I mean, probably there's not been very many times in your life where you were starving, Now I don't mean starving to death, I mean just you're hungry and you're ravenous and you need something to eat, okay? The Word of God talks about how we're ravenous creatures. Now, let me read something to you out of the book. Human beings are by nature ravenous creatures. A famished craving haunts every one of us. Excuse me. We were created for utter happiness, joy, and life. Let me read it to you again. We were created for utter happiness, joy, and life. But ever since we lost Eden... We've never known a day of total fullness. We are never filled in any lasting way. People are like cut flowers. We appear to be well, but we're severed from the vine. We're desperate, lustful creatures. We look to a marriage or the hope of a marriage, a child, our work, food, sex, alcohol, adventure, the next dinner out, the next new car, Anything to touch the ache inside of us, we are ravenous beings. Now, why did I read that this morning? Because what I'm talking about is you not putting your hope in this life, in this world, but you put your hope in the coming kingdom and everything being restored. Now, in the book, he tells the story about a woman and her husband who were rulers in the Philippines in the 80s, and her name was Ferd, uh, I'm going to get their names right, hang on, let me look, Imelda and Ferdinand was the husband, Marcos, and if you remember that story, if you're old enough to remember that story, they ruled the Philippines, and they lived in opulence. They lived in wealth and power while the nation, the people went hungry and went barefoot and didn't have anything. Well, the people rose up because of that and they threw them out of power and they took over the government. Well, when they were run out of the palace, people came in the palace behind them and they found something really shocking. She owned 7,000 pairs of shoes. Yeah, 7,000 pairs of shoes. Now, I'm not talking about shoes from the dollar store. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about shoes from Payless, okay? I'm, I'm talking about expensive designer shoes. Okay, I was looking at a pair of dress shoes online just the other day, and I don't even know how I came across it, but I'm looking at these dress shoes, and I thought, man, those are nice. I wonder how much those are. And I clicked on it, and they were $1,200. Well, I unclicked off of it, Okay. <laughs> Because if I shipped $1,200 shoes to my house, I'd be moving in with you because Vicky would have me packed it out of there. All right, so these weren't cheap shoes. There were shoes that she had never, ever even worn. But she bought pair after pair after pair. Now, here's the point. 
She was looking for the kingdom. And so she was never satisfied with five pair. She was never satisfied with 10 pair. She was never satisfied with 100 pair. She wasn't satisfied till 7,000 pair. She was looking for the kingdom. Now, here's my question this morning to you. Where in your life are you going looking for the kingdom of God? What is it that you need more of? What is it that you don't have enough of and that you have to have it in your life with the hope that it'll satisfy you when in fact you're really looking for the kingdom of God? Then the only place you're ever going to find peace, the only place you're ever going to find hope is in that kingdom. And we know it, not in things, not in stuff. That doesn't fix it and it doesn't make it better. Now you, bo- you know this, the world doesn't have any hope, do they? No, there's no hope in the world. Folks, you can't go to a country and western concert and not get your head shot off. I mean, right? And we can name earthquakes. We can name uh, hurricanes. We can go on and on and on. The world doesn't have any hope. Now, here's the thing. If your hope is in this life only, then your heart's going to be destroyed. Let me say it again. If your hope is only in this life, your heart will be destroyed. Now, I want to read to you in 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible says there's three things that are going to last forever. Three things that are going to last forever. And they're faith, hope, and love. Listen to what the verse says. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. A life without faith has no meaning. A life without love isn't worth living. A life without hope is a dark cavern you cannot escape. Now, I want to read to you Hebrews verse 6, verse 19. Listen to what it says. It's talking about hope. It says this hope, this hope we have in Christ, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, did you notice what that said? It says that you and I are supposed to have enough hope in our life that it's an anchor in our soul. Now, let me just ask you a question. What are you anchored to this morning? What have you anchored your life to? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it money? Is it business? What have you anchored your life to? Listen, you can't anchor your life to family because you know what happens to them eventually? They pass away. Okay, I've been there. I got that phone call, and my niece is on the other end of the phone, and she says, Daddy's crashed, he's dead, and it's done. Now, she was abrupt because she'd already talked to 10 other people. When she talked to my, my brother's wife, she said, Daddy's crashed, and, he, and she said, well, is he okay? And she's like, no, he's not okay. So by the time she got to me on the phone, and I'm across the street at the little gas station where we have our mowing stuff, and my wife hands me the phone, and she says, Daddy has crashed, he's dead, and it's done. Listen, if you put your hope in those things, what happens to you? Everybody in this room has lost something they love, every single one of us, haven't we? I mean, if I said that, how many of you have lost somebody? There's not a person in this room that would say, well, no, it has spared me. And even if it has spared you, I can tell you it's coming. And I don't mean tragedy. I don't mean that. But I mean just grandparents and parents, right? I mean, my parents are passed away. My grandparents are passed away. We've all been touched by that. So what am I saying? Well, what I'm saying is, is I want you 
to put your hope in the coming kingdom. I want you to put your hope in the promises of God. I want you to put your hope in the promise of a life that never ends and that there is going to be good coming in your life and it's going to be okay and you're going to be restored. That's what I want you to do. It doesn't mean you don't have hope in this life too, but that you have hope in the things of God. Now, I'm going to read two portions of scripture to you and I want to close with this and I want to talk to you about the promises of God. And the Bible's full of the promises of God. I'm not saying that. But I want to show you two things that relate to the kingdom, to the coming kingdom, and to all things being renewed. This is Isaiah 60, verse 5 out of the NIV. Listen to this. It says, when Jesus comes and sits on his glorious throne, and he renews and restores all things. Listen to what it says. Then you will look and be radiant, and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Now, just stop. That's such a big promise, you can't even take it in. Right? I mean, you you let that go right over your head like a 747. Listen to what it says. It says, when Jesus comes and sits on his glorious throne, that you and I will look and will be radiant. Now, the Bible says that when we see Jesus, we'll be like him. Okay, you know Adam and Eve in the garden weren't naked. They were clothed in the glory of God. And see, and then when they sinned, that glory fell away. Then they noticed they didn't have clothes on. They were clothed in the life and the light and the glory of God. You and I will be clothed in the glory of God. We can't even, I can't even think about what that even looks like. But listen to what he said. He said, you'll look and you'll be radiant. All right, guys, let me talk to the guys. Ladies, y'all all look at your phones, okay? Right, check in on Facebook, right? It's been 20 minutes, okay? Everybody check in. Guys, look at me. Guys, have you ever been on a date with your wife, not, your, not anybody else, okay? With your wife, right? I almost said your wife or girlfriend, okay? And, and that, you know what I mean by that, right? Okay, all right. Have you ever been like on a date and maybe your wife or even your daughter and they get dressed up and they're beautiful and, you know, they have on their makeup and their hair's done and they're radiant, Okay, have you ever had your wife look like that? Have you ever had your daughter look like that? And if you have married children, think about your daughter on her wedding day or your wife on her wedding day, and they were, they were radiant, they were beautiful. Okay, that's what this says about you and I. It says that when we look, that you and I'll be radiant and our hearts will throb and they'll swell with joy. Why? Because it's done and it's finished and we're all together and it's all gonna be good. Amen? Now, let me skip down to verse 17, Isaiah 60, verse 17. I'm really going to start in verse, uh, let me, the halfway down through 17, listen to what it says. It says, I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land. Do we live in a land with violence? Yeah, you bet we do. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Now listen to this last couple of sentences. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light. Here it is. And your days of sorrow will end. Your days of sorrow will end. Don't you love that? 
your days of sorrow will end. Listen, Jesus is coming. He's going to renew all things. He's going to make everything right. We're going to be together with the people we love. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. And the tears are going to be tears of joy, not sadness. Because Revelation says that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye. And it's all going to work out. And it's all going to be okay. Let me say it again. It's all going to work out, and it's all going to be okay. That's the message of the gospel. Amen? Y'all bow your head and let me pray for you. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for the promise of life that never ends. Lord, we, we at times, Lord, have so messed up Christianity We've made it about so many other things when really what it's about the most is life. Life. Life everlasting. Life that never ends. Life that's eternal. And Jesus, you're going to come and you're going to restore everything. You're going to make everything new. I'm so grateful for that promise. And we'll be radiant and we'll be beautiful and we'll be like you because your word says so. Father, I want every person to leave this place today with a renewed hope, with a renewed hope that, Father, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, that we can have hope in the coming kingdom. We can have hope that everything will be restored and everything will be made right. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church and for this great group of people, and I pray your grace and blessing on them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen.